0: What's up everybody and welcome in on back to the Blitz on the Balcony podcast. I am Zach Zook and today we have a little bit of a different show. I mean I think for the first time really ever on this show last week we talked about you know more of the social issues that surround the league rather than the actual play on the field and like I said last week uh, the I, I don't like delving into the social issues too much because I feel as though most fans of football and I, I at least know this is the case for me. I watch sports and the reason I love football so much is because I love the game and I love talking about the game and the sport and the players and the schemes and the coaches and uh you know everything about it and so the. The political or social side, if you will, has never been a side I really like to focus on. But last week I felt as though it was important to talk about because it was the biggest story in the league, the Rooney Rule. And I think that it's it's a monumentous thing, uh, improving it and adding to it. And I talked about actually my... Disagreements with how they were proposing to uh, expand it, and what I thought that they could do to make it better, Um, and how I thought it was a little bit of a misguided attempt. But this week we have to we have to go back and kind of talk about that same thing, and it's kind of fitting that we were talking about the Rooney Rule last week because of everything that occurred this past weekend. And so we're still going to do our draft coverage of the NFC West. We're going to close the show with that, but the three topics I want to discuss uh before that have to do with what is going on in this country and i think again it would be ignorant and i think it would actually be wrong to not discuss it and we're going to always cover everything from the league perspective we will never just you know talk about something that doesn't have to do with the nfl but this has a lot to do with the nfl and it 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 calls back to to issues in the past, whether it's Colin Kaepernick, we have players speaking out now, we have players that have been a part of protests, we have players that have made statements, some good, some not so good. And so I want to talk about the player league activism at first, kind of this whole movement, my general thoughts on it, and then I want to talk about uh Kaepernick a little bit because his his name has been in the news a lot, because this is really a repeat of what we saw uh, when he ultimately lost his job in the NFL. And then we'll talk about kind of the Drew Brees comments. Uh, He was the big story yesterday, uh, protesting, not even protesting. He, He disagreed with the kneeling of the flag. Somebody asked him, I think, on a radio show, and... Yeah, he, he got it pretty bad on uh, social media. He issued an apology today, but we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll close with the draft coverage, talk about some actual football. But I just, again, like, I think it's gotten to the point now where not speaking about it is part of the problem. And if I were to come on this podcast and not really address it, not address the Drew Brees comments, not address the Colin Kaepernick situation in the news stories that have arisen this week because of that. Not, arrest, not, not address the social unrest that is going on in America. I think that's part of the issue. And so I, I am not here to influence anybody's mind. I think it's actually a little annoying how everybody has a statement now. Everybody has a statement. Have you noticed that in the last week? Everybody has a statement. What, what, is that, what does that do? What does that do? Like, everybody posted their, their little black squares on Instagram. Like, what does that do to help? You know, Drew Brees posted a little black square on Instagram. Then he turned around the next day and talked about how he, you know, I, I will never be pro kneeling for the national anthem. I think it's disrespectful to the country. And it, we're right back. We're, we just circled right back to square one. What does that do? And everybody everybody has a statement. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Do, I've always been kind of a person that I feel like if if you are something, you shouldn't have to feel the need to say it all the time. Like, like if you're good at something, you shouldn't have to feel the need to say it. If you are a person of integrity, you shouldn't have to say that, oh, I, I never lie. I have a ton of integrity. I did this. You shouldn't have to pump your own tires when it comes to uh, something that you already are, because if 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 you're about it, then you don't have to talk about it. You know, don't talk about it, be about it. It's kind of the old saying, and so that's not what I want to do here. Uh, now, again, we're going to talk about the issues, and through that, some I think some of where I stand is going to come out in this. But I really, this is more just to inform of, about what's happening and not so much about a statement of where i stand on things because i i took a class on this at mizzou in in my communication degree and it was it focused on the bipolarization or the polarization of american politics and i'm not a huge politics guy i again my three things my three biggest interests in life probably beyond like family and people right my three biggest interests like in things in entertainment are football, Star Wars and Batman. Three things that are very black and white. You have Batman who is the epitome of good and you have the Joker who is the epitome of evil. You have uh the Jedi who are the epitome of good and you have Darth Vader and the Sith who epitomize evil. And in football, it is very black and white. You either won the game or you didn't. You lost the game or you rose to the occasion and made a play to win. It's black and white. And I think the reason I like those things is because of that. And the fact of the matter is we always, as a society, look for black and white and try to paint a picture. And the fact, and the older I've gotten, the more I've realized the world is gray. And everything in the world is gray. And so... I think I think because of that, context and information is so important, and that's really my goal is to just inform about how the, the 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 social injustice movement has swept into the league, what they have done in reaction to it, and kind of cover some of the stories there. So let's start out. Uh, the player in league activism and the, the movement I feel like this year in this past couple weeks I feel like has been maybe the most positive thing that's happened in this country in terms of uh, social justice in a very long time, at least since I've been alive. And I know we just did this in 2015. But in 2015, the main difference from 2015 to now is... It felt like there were sides back in 2015. I'm not suggesting there aren't sides now, but I have yet to see one person talk about the police officer that murdered uh, George Floyd. I think Derek Chauvin is his name. I have yet to see one person take his side and say, oh, well, he was resisting arrest. He was, you know, not following commands. Basically, everybody has come out on the side of that is fucked up. That is murder. Then that is not okay. And in 2015, that wasn't the case. And I remember being in college and there were legitimate sides. People were on the side of the law enforcement and there were people on the side of of the minorities that were getting gunned down in their own communities. And I feel like the, the movement right now has never had as much momentum. And I think that that's a very, very, very positive thing. And how that relates to the league is... Back in 2015, everybody was a lot more shy to comment and to be outward in their opinions, their thoughts, and out of really fear. And that hasn't—I I just don't think that's been the case. And uh, as much as, you know, everybody has a statement, everybody has tried to do the politically correct thing by, by you know, saying you're, you know, it, with the the social justice movement— But, you know, does that really do anything? You know, like Deshaun Watson was a part of the protests. There were uh, NBA players, athletes all over that have been a part of these protests that have actually shown up and helped out and brought about a positive, you know, effect to this that I think has been very, very good. And I don't remember at least, and maybe there were uh, black athletes and black NFL players back in 2015 that protested. And I know that there were some people that had voices and that were very outspoken about the injustice back in 2015. I don't mean to say that nobody was, but it certainly wasn't as unified. I feel like for the majority, and we'll talk about this when we get to Drew Brees, the people that have not, that still have not really grasped the concept of this issue, But I I feel like the vast majority of players have really kind of come together and they're all moving as one. And I feel like America as a country for as polarized as we've been and as divided as uh, the United States of America has been, you know, since I've been alive and it's getting progressively, progressively worse, right? It's, it's... It was positive to see how unified this movement has been over the last week, and there's plenty of disgusting things I've, you know, seen on the internet, and you really got to watch your your exposure to that. But I think it's also healthy on a on a certain level to see some of that. Like like what a privilege it is to be able to, you know, I, you know I don't want to get on Facebook and see that crap today. I can just walk away from it. You know, the people that these protests are for can't. They live it every day. And so I, I think that this has all been very positive and the unity of it is kind of what I wanted to focus on. So let's uh, <coughs> let's move on to the cap. I want to talk about uh, Colin Kaepernick because his name has really kind of been at the forefront of the news. And I need to go back and look up his uh I need to go back and look up his stats in the last year he played. Was it 2015 when all the protests were going on? I think it was. Or did he play in 2016? Sorry, guys. He did play in 2016. So 2016 was his last year. So uh, I think it's important to go back to the beginning with Colin Kaepernick. And I think I have a somewhat unique perspective because of where I was at in my life at the time. And I'm going to share that with you. Um, he was in a contract year when he made the protests and the kneeling back in 2016. And the fascinating thing about the start of his, his kneeling for the anthem that swept the league was he always had thought to himself whenever he stood for the anthem in years past that he was so proud to be An American so proud to live in this country and so, you know, grateful to be here and not born somewhere else, you know, the Middle East, for example, or another just any other country. He was just very proud to be an American. And he thought to himself, and he said this to the media after he did it, and it's real convenient how that kind of just got lost and nobody ever really talks about that. But he said after the first time he did it that, uh, that that was the reason he did it. He 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 looked around, he sees all this injustice happening. All these officer involved shootings happening. Unarmed minorities being killed. And he looked up, he's like, "You know, I'm not I'm not proud of this country right now. I'm not proud in this moment to be an American." And you know, that is what started the vitriol, right? And then I think it took on a life of its own that he had no idea The magnitude of what he started when he started the kneeling. And what is very sad is that his message and what he was doing in an effort to call attention to with the kneel, which was a very peaceful, uh, you know, non, I mean, it's not bothering anybody bothers your feelings, maybe, but like, it's not physically bothering anybody. It's not even physically inconveniencing anybody, Because a lot of these protests will block streets in an effort to call attention to it. Let's say you're on your way to work. Well, you're about to be two, three hours late, (laughs) you know? And that's widely acceptable. But kneeling before the anthem doesn't inconvenience anybody. It doesn't inconvenience the start of the game. It doesn't inconvenience anything. So I, I thought it was sad that his message from the very start was very convoluted. And I'll just be up front, and I don't know if this has eked out in just past episodes. I've never been the biggest cap guy, because as we saw then as it went on, he's hardly been the best face for it, because he had the the Fidel Castro shirt, and then he wore the, uh, the socks with uh, pigs dressed in police uniforms, and he was wearing those out on the field. I don't think he wore them for a game in his defense, but... Uh, he certainly was imperfect then. After the fact, and I think it goes to show that he wasn't. He, I mean, how could he have had the the uh, knowledge and the foresight to realize how how big this was going to blow up and become? I don't think he realized that. I don't think he. It was possible for him to realize that. And so then you had the issue too, where he didn't vote in the election then that upcoming year, and so he he was he was hardly. You know, perfect in that, and, and because of those things, I haven't, I've never been the biggest cap guy, but I always understood and supported his message. And even back when he was doing it in 2016, you knew that it was a problem. And the the issue that I took with it, and where I've since evolved since then, and that's what I want to cover it kind of from the Mizzou, the Mizzou angle because I was at Mizzou during these protests during the movement in 2015 and then 2016. And we had a group, for those of you that don't know, maybe, and and if you're from the St. Louis area, I'm sure you probably remember this. Uh, We had Concerned Student 1950, I believe, was the name of the uh, social justice group. And you had, God, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it was John somebody. He went on a hunger strike. And we had a lot of student protests throughout the campus. You'd be eating lunch in the student center, and all of a sudden, huge protests would come by uh, chanting things. They were posted up in the quad for a long time. You had the uh, Melissa Click yelling at the reporters, and then she ended up losing her job. Chancellor ended up losing his job. I think the, was it the athletic director? Somebody else besides the chancellor, I want to say the president maybe, lost his job it was a tumultuous time to be a student there and now looking back as a 25 year old i am very lucky to have been there at that time and i learned more in that period of time through that movement than any single class i took at mizzou that was worth more dollars than any amount of money i put into my textbooks any amount of money I put into my classes because it helped me evolve as a person and understand a little bit more what the movement was about. And I don't think now like now. I don't really think that there are still, you know, just outward assholes and racists. Right. But Twitter, there's a lot less of those than Twitter and Facebook would have you believe. A lot of it, I think, is just misguided, ignorant white people, of which I think I was a part of. I think everybody is. Every white person starts out there, and it's on you to evolve. It's on you to educate yourself and to understand, to be able to fully empathize with the movement, because it you can't unless unless you educate yourself, because you don't understand. And even then, like I still don't fully understand because I'll just never know what it's like to live live that life, right? So as it pertains to the Kaepernick situation, I was never the biggest fan of his because I—and with the issues, I felt like everybody liked to play revisionist history with him and pretend he was some awesome quarterback when the fact of the matter was big arm, athletic, good in the run game— but pretty inaccurate, like pretty hit or miss with that big arm, and it had gotten worse. Now, in his defense, after Harbaugh left, he had nothing around him. I I can't remember which year was the Jim Tom Sula year, and they went through a ton of turnover, obviously between Harbaugh and then. By the time Shanahan was there, he was already gone. So, I understood why the 49ers didn't bring him back. Right, like he everybody pretends again that he was some top five quarterback. He was not. He was a borderline starter by the time he finished his contract year. And the off the field, it's kind of unfair to call them issues, I feel like, but the off the field element certainly plays into whenever you bring anybody into your organization that you're going to pay millions of dollars to. And keep in mind, Cap, NFC champion, had played in the Super Bowl against the Ravens, where that was the game where the lights went out at the stadium, uh, has had a ton of success in the league, was going to command a price. And. I liken his free agency to Tim Tebow's, whereas I think there were some teams that were looking to bring him in as a starter, but much more teams were looking at him as to maybe be a backup and maybe he could compete in training camp for a job. And that was the reality of his situation at the time. He wasn't a good enough... Again, he was not a top five QB to the point where he was a lock-it-in starter for the 2017 season. And so... What the GMs then had to do was look at the cost-benefit analysis of, and this is going to sound harsh, but the distraction that signing him was going to bring to the organization and all the news that that was going to bring. And it was similar to the Tim Tebow situation, to where teams were hesitant to sign him because of the media tent, the, like the, the media circus that was going to be around your organization every day in training camp, every day at practice. Everybody wants to get a quote from this guy because the player was so polarizing. And it was for two completely different things Tim Tebow, so outspoken about his religion, Colin Kaepernick, outspoken about the racial injustices that he was seeing. Uh, going around as a country. And sadly for Kaepernick, his was painted in a much more negative light than was Tebow's. But it, where I compare the two is the distraction was still the same. It was still similar in the sense that it was a distraction, right? And that really, the issue at that point didn't matter to the GMs. And I think that people uh, didn't understand that. Now, here's the part where he absolutely gets blackballed, right? he was 100% capable of being in the league. There was no, no reason that he should have been in the league. And when we see some of the jokes that these teams roll out there at the backup quarterback position when their guys go down, like the Bryce Petty's of the world, the uh, Geno Smith's of the world, the uh, Cody Kessler's of the world, like those guys, let's let's just be blunt, they suck. And Kaepernick's world's better than them. And so that was the part where I kind of changed my thinking. It was like, that right there is bullshit. I can understand the uh, the distraction element. I understand that he's a borderline starter. But for him to just be out of the league, it's very clear that that was a, a unified ideal held up by the owners. And that is the problem that was the that was the issue back then and where i'm going with all this is the 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 experience i had at mizzou and now like in the years since have really helped me because it was all going on at the same time and it's helped me evolve to a place now where i feel like i understand more now the uh the element of the protest and i hope that other people can do the same and i know that there's a lot of resources out there and if you go on social media you'll see him again my i don't want to sway like my job is not to sway anybody's opinion like i you know like that's that i don't want to make a statement right i'm just trying to inform and the history of the Kaepernick situation is very important when we talk about the context of 2020 now and how far really we've come since 2016 to 2020. And you can bet your ass there's going to be kneeling this fall. And the the movement that he started, it was certainly a positive one. And while I, I'm not the biggest cap guy in the world, that cannot be argued. It's, it's, so far reaching and has had such an impact. So let's move to Drew Brees because the main reason Cap got blackballed was because of the kneeling for the flag and the national Anthem. And that is what the conversation began, became about it became about the flag and the national Anthem instead of what Kaepernick was actually protesting, which was in reality, the police brutality that we saw uh, committed against George Floyd. So, Drew Brees basically was on a radio show and had I'm paraphrasing here, but he had basically said, "I will never be for kneeling, you know, like I I will never be for disrespecting the national anthem and the American flag and veterans and all that." Blah blah blah. Same you know diarrhea we heard back in the day, and here is where again I I the the Mizzou angle that that the perspective that I had from going to that university and being there around the time of all the protests and the Mizzou football team threatened not to play the game against BYU in Kansas City at Arrowhead. And uh, you had the hunger strike and you had the concerned student 1950. And that has really helped me because I, like Drew Brees, did not love – I was not – and I'll be – I don't mind being honest about it. I wasn't in love with that – I loved the uh, the the black power fist during the anthem. I loved the the arms interlocking. Like I didn't feel like that was I felt like that was communicating the same message and also could not be conveyed in disre- in disrespecting veterans at all. Whereas I felt like sitting for the national anthem has a negative connotation to it and I feel like is on some level disrespectful p- f- to people that have died black people. Too, uh, not just white people. People of all races that have died. And I, I I thought mainly back to you know like World War Two and people that fought in the Civil War and people that fought for how great our country is today. You can't you 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 sit down when we sing to honor them. I felt like it that message was convoluted, and I think that's where Drew Brees is coming from. Now here's where Drew Brees misses the mark, and here's where I missed the mark back in the day, and how I've evolved. Is because you cannot tell someone how to protest. You can't do it, and it, it's a it's a concept that uh, white people, quite frankly, have struggled with. And again, myself wasn't in love with it. Didn't did not love the idea of kneeling before the national anthem. I looked at it as sitting for the national anthem. Everyone's going to stand up and you know take a moment to honor the country and honor the people that have fought for it and. You're sitting for it. I, I felt as though that was disrespectful, and that's how Drew Brees felt, and apparently still does. But here's the thing: you will take an issue with no matter what they do, right? And while you, there might be better ways to go about it, and you can psychoanalyze to the to the ends of the earth, right? Your people always seem to find an issue with how protests are carried out. Well, why'd you have to? Why'd you have to block the traffic? Why'd you have to disrespect the flag? No, you took it as that. You took it as that. The message was social injustice for police brutality and the systematic uh, racism that occurs in the United States. You took the message as that. That was not the message. And when the NBA players wore the shirts that said, I can't breathe, when people blocked traffic... Now it's the, it's the looting and the riding. Well, why can't you just peacefully protest? Well when, when they peacefully protest, people have an issue with that too. It doesn't matter how or why or what, there will be somebody will find an issue with how you do it. So you cannot protest you cannot take issue with the way somebody calls attention to an issue. because at the end of the day, that's what a protest is. It's calling attention to an issue that has received none. And the famous MLK quote has made the rounds on social media. Rioting is the language of the unheard. And on, on a level, that's that's absolutely right. And the thing is, is you cannot condone that while still agreeing with the message and understanding why it's taking place, right? Like, nobody, nobody is for—like, that's a straw man. Nobody is for— breaking windows and destroying the community. Nobody is for that. But what, wh- where the message has gotten convoluted and where Drew Brees' issue c- comes up is you have to understand why it's being done. And the, the Drew Brees thing and why it was so baffling is he has done more good for the community of Louisiana in the wake of Hurricane Katrina and for, you know the the impoverished than maybe anybody else in the league. Walter Payton, man of the year. Drew Brees is, and so for a person with as high of a moral construct as that to still fall prey to some of the pitfalls that you can have when listening to and trying to live in a time where all this change is happening, right? Now this movement is taking place, and the the you know the again the vitriol and the polarization of the issues when it pertains to social injustice is is Drew Brees a bad guy? No, he's not. Is Drew Brees is Drew Brees a racist? No, he's not. He just is is uneducated to I think the problem. And I I feel like I relate to it because I feel like that was me. And I you know, had was lucky to be in an environment that cultivated some education in that in that regard, and I think that is what a lot of these players are experiencing, because I mean to say Drew Brees is racist is just wrong, because his teammates have loved him up until that statement, right? So uh, and everybody now is against him. Yeah, I've seen tons of players come out with you know tweets and disappointment and. I think it's just an, an uneducated thing. And that's kind of my take on the Drew Brees situation and my my take on the situation as a whole. And I think that it is your responsibility, if you're a white person listening to this podcast, to educate yourself. Uh, because ignorance is not an excuse. And we all have to grow. And that's that's the whole purpose of this, right? Like the whole purpose of this. Now, now Drew Brees is going to be more educated and better off than he was before. And I look at that as actually a positive thing. Everybody wants to, you know, cancel him on Twitter and stuff. Like, Twitter isn't real life. He still has endorsements. He still made millions of dollars. But you know what? In in six months, he's going to be so much better off than he was before. And that right there is the essence of the protest. That right there is the entire message. To just spread the understanding because... You can like I remember before growing up like I was always taught don't judge people on the color of their skin. Okay, fine. Like that that's great. You shouldn't do that. But stopping there and like pretending that that's enough is misguided. Like it's so misguided. And so we're trying to take the next step as a society. And the next step is trying to un- is wrapping your head around and understanding the systematic social injustice that has put black people behind uh, in the origin of that that started with Jamestown in the 1600s when slaves were brought over from Africa to live in America and since the Civil War, right? Like it started since then. And although we've taken massive steps as a society since then, we haven't caught them back up. We have just... Quit holding them back, and there still is, like we talked about last week with the Rooney Rule, elements of that at play. It's just not as outward as it was back then. So we're like, I, I think that you know, and I said I wasn't gonna give my opinion, and here I am giving my opinion. But the the information is the important thing, and that's the entire that's the entire movement. So let's move on. Uh, talk about some real football now. Let's cover the uh, NFC West, AFC West, the uh, draft picks. This is the last. Uh, show we're gonna cover that on. Then we'll move on to something else. I thought it would be fun to uh, maybe next week or a couple weeks from now talk about the uh, top five or top ten uh, best lines in football because so often that's who ends up winning it. The the team that is best in the trenches ends up winning the uh, Super Bowl and the quarterback play is right up there too and probably more important. But uh, Kansas City Chiefs amazing offensive line, really good defensive line. Chris Jones, Frank Clark, right uh, 49ers, amazing defensive line, amazing offensive line. Not even that good at the skill position. They got a bunch of six, seventh rounders running the ball, but the line was amazing. And so therefore they went farther. So that's an idea I have. I think maybe we'll do that next week. Let me know uh, your thoughts on that. You can reach out to us on all social media platforms, but for now let's cover our, uh, last week of the draft. Thank you guys for bearing with, you know, the 30 minutes of, you know, talk about, the the protests and how it related to the league. Um, I know I know it's not football. I, I don't want to be talking about it, but we have to. I mean, we just have to. So uh, let's talk about football now, uh, why we're all here. The 49ers took Javon Kinlaw at pick 14. They came back. They get Brandon Ayuk, uh, pick 25, traded back into the first round. Uh, Colton McKibbit's offensive tackle, West Virginia. They, after the first round, did not pick till the fifth round. And I certainly thought they'd trade away one of their picks to get more picks in them in the mid-rounds. They said, fuck that. Uh, we're just going to take good players. Because it's an interesting draft strategy, too, because they got two premium players, and then after that, got up, took some flyers. But the two guys they got were premium players. They directly replaced DeForest Buckner with Javon Kinlaw, which a lot of people thought they might do. I thought they'd go maybe a different direction, go wide receiver there. I thought they'd be tempted by Henry Ruggs, who was obviously off the board. I thought they'd be tempted by C.J. Henderson, who I believe was also off the board. Yeah, Jags took him. So uh, they went Javon Kinlaw. And what I thought was interesting is that they passed up, I believe, on C.D. Lamb. And yeah, they passed up on C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. So, both of them were available because then Denver took uh, Judy at pick 15, and the Cowboys at 17 took Lamb. So, uh, I thought it was interesting that they passed up on two of, they were widely regarded as wide out one, two. Ruggs was cl- the clear third behind those guys, and of course the Raiders took him. Such an Al Davis pick. But, uh I thought it was interesting the uh, 49ers passed on both of those guys, but they clearly loved Javon Kinlaw. He's going to directly replace for- DeForest Buckner, and they continue to just stack talent on the defensive line. And then they obviously were targeting Ayuk, who fits the mold for for he's like he is the Debo Samuel of this year's draft or the Terry McLaurin of this year's draft. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, uh, out of Arizona State, people love him. His wingspan is massive. He's uh, six foot tall, has insane athleticism. If you throw on his highlights, most of his highlight plays are catching the ball short and taking it the distance. He's a home run hitter that fits San Fran's offense. Uh, They don't really throw a ton of deep balls. You know, they can. But uh, a lot of their offense, they can use him and Debo Samuel on these jet sweeps and get them involved in the run game. They can uh, press them down the field and throw the ball short to them. They can throw screens to those guys. So Brandon Ayuk uh, is just another Debo uh, when it comes down to it. So like what the 49ers did, thought it was interesting. I probably would have done it reverse. But uh, they clearly, Javon Kinlaw, they directly replace him. And then they pick up a first round pick. Uh, So... So I thought that was a good job by, by San Fran. Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks always march to the beat of their own drum. Now, they were pretty whole in this draft. Had a pick in every round, two in the fourth. Uh, I liked some of the guys they got late. Freddie Swain, the comp pick, uh, wide out, out of Florida. I feel like he could end up contributing. Uh, kind of reminds me of Lockett, who they have on the roster now a little bit, actually. Uh, at the top of the draft, they took Jordan Brooks, who I loved Jordan Brooks. I studied him for PFF. And he was all over the field. I, I had never heard of him before I did the PFF game, and he wore number one for them. And I, I just remember like this number one is tackling everybody. He is in on every single play. He was their entire defense. If Brooks wasn't making the play, they were not getting a stop. It seemed Jordan Brooks was clearly the best player on the field, and he really stood st- stood out like a sore thumb. And so that's what made me you know kind of fall in love with him at first. He was one of my favorite linebackers in the draft. I had him as the Third linebacker in the draft behind Queen and Murray. Uh, so that's where that's how highly I thought of him. But the thing is, Seahawks took him over Patrick Queen, who I thought was clearly the best uh linebacker in the draft. True linebacker. I mean, we're forgetting about Isaiah Simmons, but Isaiah Simmons not a true linebacker. He's a hybrid player. So of the true, you know, linebackers in the middle, they took Brooks over Queen, which I thought was very interesting. But Jordan Brooks elicits memories of, like, he looks exactly like Bobby Wagner, kind of. So uh, we'll see. I think he he's great testing athletically. Uh, we'll just have to see if he sticks in the league. And if Seattle's development of defensive players tells you anything, uh, he's going to be a good one. He's going to be a good one. They got Damian Lewis guard out of uh, LSU. Pretty highly... Highly coveted player in the third round. Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee in the second. Don't know much about Daryl Taylor. Uh, Colby Parkinson, tight end out of Stanford. Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, I would expect, I I don't think they got a ton of starters. I think Jordan Brooks, Damian Lewis are the two to focus on. DJ Dallas, the running back out of Miami is interesting. Uh, Speedster doesn't really fit the mold of the running backs they've had uh, in Seattle. So I wonder if actually they might move him to slot receiver. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, I thought they did an excellent job in in the second round, especially. Second and third round, I, they get Terrell Lewis out of Alabama, edge guy, uh, struggles with injuries, but when he's on the field, really good player, would have been taken much higher. They get Cam Akers uh, with the second round, pick 52, love Cam Akers, a lot of people love Cam Akers. I think they got a really good value out of him, too, very much like Dalvin Cook, and he fits what the Rams want to do. And I think it's become clear after Todd Gurley went down that this team, if they don't have a very good running back, they're not going to be very good. They have to have a good running game. So I think Cam Akers is a priority in the Rams situation is a very rare situation where the running back holds more value to that offense and that team than anybody else. Like they have to have a very good running back on a rookie contract. They just do. Because Jared Goff's not good enough to carry the team at the price he's at when the, when the roster becomes uh, when the roster deteriorates around him, he's not as good. He can't handle it. Uh, So they need a guy like Gurley, a guy like Cam Akers, to take the pressure off of him in the pass game and also elevate the offense. And I think Cam Akers is going to do that. Van Jefferson, who they got uh, five picks later out of Florida, really good route runner. I really like Van Jefferson. Uh, I think he struggled because of inconsistent quarterback play. But uh, like Freddie Swain, I, I just think that the weapons that Florida had last year were really pretty good. And Van Jefferson was much better than Swain, which is why he went in the second, not the seventh. But uh, he has good size and is a very good route runner. I, would, I could see him being a very good player for the Rams, uh, much, much like Robert Woods, kind of. It uh, kind of fits that mold. Uh, they got Terrell Burgess, third round out of Utah. I like Burgess, too. Uh, and Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue, kind of, he'll play that Y a lot like Gerald Everett, body type wise. Uh, I think he might be a little lighter than Gerald Everett, but he he will fit that Y uh, and play that position. So let's move to the Cardinals. They take Isaiah Simmons and then they take Josh Jones. So I love the players that they took with the first two picks, but Isaiah Simmons, they they basically told him. I think they just said, well, we're basically we don't wanna ask him to do too much. I think they're just gonna line him up at linebacker and play him, which is is terrible. That's terrible. They should not do that. So uh I, I, don't, I don't know I don't I, know. I hope that I'm wrong and they use him how he's designed to be used, but I fear that they're not going to. Josh Jones, great pick. I have no idea how he felt in the third round. He's gonna be a really good player. He fits a need for the Cardinals that I thought they'd address at pick eight. They get, I think, almost somebody that's just as good as somebody they would have picked at pick eight down there at pick 72. So that was the best pick of the draft, I think, for them. Also, Evan Weaver, leading the, the all-time leading sack leader in the history of the Mountain West Conference. They got him in the sixth round. Bad body type, but I watched him in one of my training games a couple weeks ago. Uh, I forget who Boise State was playing. But uh, it was a Mountain West matchup, and he was good. He was a very good player. And I didn't focus on him a ton in the pre-draft process, but whenever I do these games, obviously for work, I get to dive a level deeper. And uh, I thought he was a very good player. I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be a, a solid NFL starter. I think he's gonna end up being a starter for the Cardinals. They'd also get e- Eno Benjamin out of Arizona State, stuck in the desert. Took a hometown guy with the last pick. Always love that. I think Eno Benjamin's actually a really good player. Really interesting scat back option for the Cardinals that I'd be really interesting to see how he fits with, you know, Kyler Murray and some of the other guys they have in that offense. He'll be a nice change of pace guy if he can find his way to like second, third on the depth chart. Um, I I really like that pick. I'm a big fan of you know Benjamin. Let's go to now the AFC West, and we'll get you out of here. All right, Kansas City Chiefs. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, first running back off the board, picked him with the last pick of the first draft, first round, uh, I love him. I think he's going to be a really good player. Reminds me of kind of uh, uh, Maurice Jones-Drew. I think he fits the offense perfectly. He is uh, great catching the ball out of the backfield. I think he runs the ball exactly how Andrew Reid wants his running backs to run the ball. Easy to see him fall in love with a guy like Clyde Edward hilaire I thought they would have gone a different direction, maybe taken some defense. <laughs> I think they need some help on defense. But uh, they needed help at the running back position, too. They just haven't had a guy since... Uh, their third-round pick out of Toledo, Hunt, got in trouble. So uh, they they take Clyde edwards here. Then they take Willie Gay Jr. out of Mississippi State. And this is interesting because, like Kareem Hunt, has a checkered past, checkered background. Uh, and because of that, slipped a little bit, was suspended at points for Mississippi State. But on the field, ability-wise, would have been a first-round pick. I mean, he's so talented, sideline to sideline speed, great athleticism, good size. Willie Gay Jr. is an awesome, awesome player. I mean, he is sweet. I wanted the Packers to take him. Uh, So as long as he can just stay on the straight and narrow, that is going to be an awesome second round pick for them. Then they go back and they get Lucas Niang in the third round, which is another guy. Like, I I really liked him. I mean, I think he was, I'd have to go, I don't want to take the time to pull up my rankings. But uh, I think I had him top 10 at the offensive tackle position. I know that. And then they get uh, Legere Sneed, the safety out of Louisiana Tech. So I I, I really like what they were able to do. They finish up with Mike Dana out of uh, Michigan, transfer from Central Michigan to Michigan, and did okay. I, I, don't, I don't think he'll probably stick on the roster for all that long. Uh, maybe he develops, though. You never know. The Denver Broncos, I thought, had the best draft out of anybody in the— at, at anybody in the uh at anybody in the division. Okay guys, sorry I got interrupted. I had a conference call with uh PFF that I had to jump on. So I'm back now. Uh we're, I was talking about the Denver Broncos. So they knocked it out of the park, I thought. I was a little nervous like when you get a defensive guy like Vic Fangio uh as, as the head coach and the leader, sometimes I always doubt those coaches ability to pick players with premium selections that won't play on their side of the ball. Like, sometimes it's tough to envision a defensive guy taking an offensive skill player. But the Denver Broncos needed this, and they knocked it out of the park. Uh, Jerry Judy, I think, is the best wide receiver in the draft. I think I've talked ad nauseum about that. But one of my favorite players in this draft is K.J. Hamler. He, I mean, the guy's my height. He's like my—he's only a little heavier than me, too. I mean, he is tiny. 5'9" like 180 pounds I think that's even generous I don't think he's 180 I think he's more like 160 170 I mean the guy uh is 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 very small um so but but he's awesome he struggled a little bit with drops but he has return ability he's gonna play in the slot I think KJ Hamler's awesome after watching him play and tear up Uh, my Michigan Wolverines. Uh, I, I was really sold on him. I mean, he's just such a dynamic playmaker. Michael Ojemudia, third round corner out of Iowa, fits a scheme for them. Uh, I've gotten to watch more of Ojemudia after the draft, uh, with Iowa. I've done like two, just two. It feels like more, but I've done two training games, uh, with PFF that had Iowa in them. And, uh, Ojemudia, I thought, I just, I just came away thinking he was okay, um, I think he's a a good player. I don't think he's a great one, though. Um, So, yeah, I just thought he was okay. I guess I'm not overly impressed with that one. But the Lloyd Cushenberry pick in the third round after Ojemudia. I love Cushenberry. I think he's going to be awesome. Fantastic pick by the Broncos to uh, be the center. Then they get uh, Albert Okoibbenum out of uh, Mizzou in the fourth round, and Okwebun blew everybody away with the 40 time, and he's kind of an athletic freaking agent. You combine him with Noah Fant, you combine him with what they already have in Cortland Sutton, you add Jerry, Judy, and KJ Hamler to that mix. Holy cow, uh, is their offense going to be just tough. If if Drew Locke can just manage, that's all he's got to do is manage, because they should have a a little better. A line now. They're still. They have issues at the tackle position, but uh on the interior they get better because they t- took Natane Muti from Fresno State too, who I again really like him. So I think that they got two starters on the offensive line. Maybe Muti Muti won't start right away, but uh Cushenberry probably will, and uh they also add all the weapons. So like think about the guy, go- the skilled players on the Denver Broncos. You have. Melvin Gordon now signed in free agency from the Chargers to go with Philip Lindsay, who was already really good. I think they still have Royce Freeman as the third stringer. Then on the outside, you have Cortland Sutton, you have Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, you have Noah Fant, you have now Albert O, and I believe they still do. They still have Deshaun Hamilton, or did his contract run out? They still have, like, they have so much depth, and they took Tyree Cleveland out of Florida in the seventh round, too. So, like, they have a ton of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball now to go with their signing of A.J. Bouye to shore up the loss that they felt from Chris Harris Jr. on defense in the secondary. I thought they did an excellent job. Las Vegas Raiders, not a fan of their draft. Uh, wasn't a fan of their draft last year. I'm not really a fan of it this year. I I, I, I was not a fan of Damon Arnett, who they picked uh, number 19 overall. I thought that was just the more, probably just the weirdest pick in the first round. Uh, AJ Terrell, at least, I, I, I have heard a lot. Of, I didn't like him. I did not like him at all. But I've heard a lot of other you know, personnel people do, so maybe I'm wrong about him. But uh, the Day- Damon Arnett one, I don't think anybody even had him rated very high, and I certainly didn't. So I, I didn't understand that at pick 19. We'll see if he works out, but i got to tell you, I don't think it's going to happen. Then at pick 12, love Henry Ruggs as a player. Just don't think he was the best wide out and they had a chance to pick the best wideout, and they didn't. Uh, the guy they picked in the third round, Brian Edwards, I really do like him out of South Carolina. I think he is very talented. I think he could end up being a better player than Henry Ruggs. I really do. I, I think when it's all said and done, if you told me Brian Edwards has ended up being, uh, you know, this productive receiver, maybe averages like 800 yards a season, 40, 50 catches uh, and Henry Ruggs kind of flames out. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I, I think he's, he is uh, a very talented guy out of South Carolina. Uh, Tanner Mews, uh, linebacker out of Clemson. Yeah, he played kind of safety, I want to say, at Clemson, but he's going to have to play linebacker. I mean, the guy just has zero coverage ability. Zero. And he's a, he's a big athletic dude, but you would just see 19 on Clemson. He's a physically imposing dude, but he just couldn't hang with even the SEC-level athletes. So uh, in the NFL, I think he's going to struggle when he when it comes to that now in the run game I think he's gonna be solid so uh, they also they doubled down you know Mike Mayock he can't it's not a draft if Mike Mayock doesn't take guys from Clemson and uh, uh, you know the blue blood championship schools Clemson Ohio State Bama so he got his two Clemson guys Tanner Muse and John Simpson then um, he finished up with uh, they didn't have a pick after the fourth round they were done after the fourth round he got Amik Robertson one of my favorite favorite players in the draft Amik Robertson out of Louisiana Tech. Really, really solid player. I mean, this guy's. I, I, it, again, if you look up at the end of this and Amik Robertson's the best player out of this, out of their, this draft class, wouldn't be shocked. Would not be shocked at all. And then I guess I kind of glanced over the, uh, Lynn, Lynn Bowden pick who played, uh, quarterback for Kentucky. Uh, list him at a running back wide receiver, was forced to play QB for Kentucky because they just didn't have anybody. So uh, he, he'll he be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Kind of a gadget gadget player, it sounds like. The Chargers, they get Justin Herbert. Then I thought their best pick was they, come, they trade back into the first and get Kenneth Murray. I, I think Kenneth Murray's a stud. I, I've had colleagues that don't think he's going to be as awesome. I love him. I want the Packers to take him. I I think he's just the captain, green dot guy in the middle of the defense. He's going to be a 10-year starter. I I just think he's solid. He's he's a really, really good player. Um, And then they get Josh Kelly out of UCLA, running back in the fourth round. Nice pass catching back. Uh, Josh Kelly has some speed to his game. Great scat guy. And uh, then they come back at the very end. They get K.J. Hill. I'm not big on Alohi Gilmon. I don't think he can cover now of the game I saw I, I did uh Notre Dame Georgia and I thought that he took in that game at least he looked a lot better this year than he did last year I watched him a lot more in 2018 than I did in 2019 but in 2018 he just I mean he's just hard hitter good athlete good in the run game like good playing downhill can't cover anybody again just uh, and KJ Hill fell because of the metrics it, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to separate i think that's going to be his issue so that'll wrap it up uh, thank you guys so much sorry for uh the kind of had to jump off for that call but uh thank you for bearing with us thank you for making us a part of your week different show this week I know we'll get back to get back to football next week but I but it is it's important to address it i mean it's it is a, a very important topic and uh one worth discussing for sure so uh thank you very much and we'll see you next time